everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. Sam, you are grimacing so hard. <laughs> you saying the, like, rest of the tagline just, like, exploded my ears for some reason. You have big sleepy energy right now. But we don't have time for sleepy energy because there's a cool story that I've been wanting to talk about forever. And now you're going to let me talk about it. So what are we talking about this week? <laughs> yes, forever, as in being, like, two to three weeks ago. <laughs> There's only occurred. the news cycle. There okay. is only news. All right. We're 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 going to discuss the recent Colonial Pipeline shutdown. Uh, yeah. This is my favorite because it's the intersection of cybersecurity and making pipelines acknowledge that maybe fossil fuels are on their way out. <laughs> yes. So first, I'm going to cover what happened with the Colonial Pipeline, who was the group responsible for the attack, and then what's being done about it. All right. Let's get into meat of this. On Friday, May 7th, the Colonial Pipeline shut down down due to a ransomware attack. So the pipeline runs about 5,500 miles between Texas and New Jersey, delivering more than 100 million gallons of fuel per day to states in the southeast and providing about 45% of the East Coast fuel, which includes gasoline, diesel, home heating oil, jet fuel, and military supplies. The company managing the pipeline shut down the pipeline after a ransomware attack on their financial computer network stole over 100 gigabytes of corporate data for fear that it would spread to the industrial operations. So shutting down the pipeline for multiple days caused fuel shortages in states like North Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, South Carolina, and Florida. And it also sparked an increase in gas prices and panic buying among residents, which I'm sure everyone listening to this is well aware of and was seeing all the panic buying going around. I actually don't care about the panic buying. I'm just mad at, like, how stupid people are. Like, it's one thing to panic buy, but, like, this wasn't like when people were panic buying buying toilet paper a year ago, whereas like you just go buy toilet paper. This was like people not having storage containers for gasoline. And so they pour it into Tupperware and then they light up a cigarette and their car catches on fire. This happened. There's like there's no shortage of images on the Internet of people just panic buying gasoline, not knowing how to store it and then setting their car on fire. Yeah, I was also seeing a lot of images of people improperly storing gas. and It's like, oh, no, please don't do that. That's a hazard. Panic buying, first of all, is, it sucks. But I get the human nature that goes in the panic buying mm -hmm. but the just sheer stupidity of the way people are handling there's a reason that there's so much okay i actually <laughs> transporting and protecting gasoline is not actually as safe as people like to think it is but still you joe schmo at home are not the person who's tasked with doing that and you don't have the equipment or the knowledge of how to like if you're not putting in a gas can and don't know to like put that gas can on the floor and like the basics of what causes gas to catch on fire mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't be allowed to go hoard it Yes. Now, the shutdown was so dramatic that the White House actually issued an emergency order that relaxed restrictions for drivers carrying fuel in some states, and the White House, FBI, and other government agencies got involved to help with the attack. I don't know if the, you could even consider this a spoiler, but the issue does seem to be solved now. Colonial Pipeline announced that it safely restarted its pipeline system on Wednesday, May 12th, and then it would likely take several days after that to return to its normal operation. Also, according to Bloomberg, Colonial Pipeline did pay a nearly $5 million ransom in untraceable cryptocurrency on Friday, May 7th, though apparently they still had to use their own backups to restore the system because the tool the hackers provided was slow. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Wait, if they had their own backups, why did they pay the ransom? We'll get into this, but part of the thing is that if you pay the ransom, they won't release the data online to be public. So I feel like that's a big motivator. So typically, based on my background in cybersecurity and the certifications and all the other BS that you usually end up reading up on just as a product of this, whenever there's a cyber attack or a suspected cyber attack at your organization, you actually have to reach out to, I think it's the FBI, within 24 hours to let them know something's up because oh. they're supposed to be working with you. Like, especially if it's a ransomware attack where like this could be anything from exfiltration of sensitive data that could be people's like social security numbers or medical information or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because ransomware attacks have attacked hospitals. They've attacked other power infrastructure, other utility infrastructure. So this is this is not new in any way. The only thing that's changing is like more sophisticated the attacks are getting and the more frequent they're getting as more things become digitally connected. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's get into that because the next part we're going to talk about like who was actually responsible for this attack and what's going on here. So by the way, that group is called Darkside and they are a Russian-based ransomware as a service group that provides its clients with their ransomware software. Yeah, this is something hilarious to me about most cyber attacks, especially ransomware attacks. It's like they're very much like a customer support business. Like if you think of going to any digital service provider, let's say imagine I was using a certain accounting software. If something bad happened with my accounting software, the accounting company would probably want to get in touch and help me work through the problem because I'm relying on their software. And as a result, this is important to their reputation. Mm -hmm. If I'm a ransomware company who's like notorious for not having good support for the people who pay their ransoms, no one's going to want to pay me my ransom for the thing because it'll be like they're not actually going to like help me get my data back or anything. Yeah. And so ransomware companies actually go out of their way to make sure they have good customer support and they help you unlock your data once it's been locked and all that stuff. And I'm sure you're going to get into like the minutia of what this is, but like I just need to take that tangent of like how funny it is that even the scammers are trying their best to have five-star customer support. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, because that's the thing that shocked me because I heard before I started really digging into the story, I kind of heard like, oh, it was a ransomware. Dark side did it. I was thinking it was like, I don't know, when you hear about all the different bear names of like all the Russian hackers where it just seems like, oh, this one guy or this one handful of guys infiltrated something. I was thinking it was like that. No, this is a whole business model. Like it's ridiculous. So kind of as Cameron said, how this works is a person will pay Darkside to provide them with the software to install on a victim system to steal their data. And Darkside won't actually get into the victim system. Like the customer has to do that part. But Darkside, they will provide the customer with services around the attack, like tools for communicating with the victims or making the data public. And then if the victim pays the ransom, Darkside will get a cut of it. Yeah, this is a huge thing for, this can sound weird to say, like think of like AWS or something. Like you have your startup idea, which is to screw over this company, but you don't have the technical know-how or the infrastructure, or the expertise. Well, fortunately, Darkside's services will come and help you fill that gap. They will, they will give you the means to announce that you've screwed over their company and the means to collect money from that company. And should they not pay the ransom, the means to effectively release that data in a way that can't be taken back or can't be intercepted or blocked by whichever venue you've chosen to release that data on. And they're, they're just a full service helping the customer <laughs> out platform. Like, okay, this is dark. This is like a bad thing. But at the same time, I admire the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, we're Americans. We know all about setting up businesses, finding a need, filling that need. <laughs> Capitalism, baby. Yeah, I'll say I, I read this in one of the articles I looked up. They said how like Darkseid has lured customers by promising 
promising the best encryption speeds to lock up computers faster than anyone else and supporting attacks on both Windows and Linux operating systems. Like, just really selling this group of like, oh, yeah, they like promise the best encryption and the best software. That's actually a weird thing to think about is anyone with a Windows machine, we kind of like know that Windows machines are always the target of attacks because they're one of the most popular operating systems. So if I was trying to figure out what to invest in attacking, it'd probably be Windows. But as a result, some companies go out of their way to only use like Linux machines or just certain operating systems that they think are going to be safer because they're not Windows. Mm. And as a result, they'll cause them to do less security and just like not really pay as much attention as they should, which Ah. will end up making them more vulnerable. And so if you know how to attack a Mac or Linux system, this becomes like even easier for you because they're like, oh, no, we're using a Mac. So, of course, it's not a problem. (laughs) We don't have to worry about endpoint security at all. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's actually pretty funny. Okay, I do want to read you this because just to get to the nitty gritty of how their malware works, because I have a sentence here, but I have no idea what I'm about to say. So let me read it to you, Cameron. According to IBM X-Force, the malware once deployed steals data, encrypts systems using Salsa 20 and RSA 1024 encryption protocols, and execute an encoded PowerShell command to delete volume shadow copies. Okay, so we're going to take that piece by piece. Okay, thank you. First, I need to start with explaining what ransomware is. Ransomware is just like if you think of ransoming a person. You would take the person hostage and you would say, give me money or I don't give back this person. Except data is special and that works two ways. One, a whole business is built on data. If you don't know who your clients are, if you don't know how to contact them, if you don't know what the current state of your accounts are in, Mm -hmm. you are screwed. Like that's the entire premise behind Mr. Robot is basically a ransomware attack where they were never going to give back the data. Because once you destroy a company's data, you can either set them back long enough that they'll go bankrupt or just completely shut them down. But likewise, data is super sensitive. And so if you have sensitive data, it's not just that I'm holding onto it and can prevent you from doing business. I can give it to your competitor. I can sell it to the highest bidder, or I can just release it on the internet to screw over everyone because I'm trying to screw with you. I'm trying to destroy your reputation or your business or just destroy the lives of the people involved. Yeah. You're creating a reason for someone to pay you for something back. Yeah. Now that we have an idea behind what motivates a ransomware attack and where the real threat is coming from, let's go through every piece of what you just said. So restart that sentence. Okay. The malware once deployed steals data, encrypts systems. So the first two things are, let's pretend that it's my computer that is the target of the ransomware attack. The first thing you might want to do is just get your hands on that data. So exfiltration is what's most common here. They're going to slowly find a way to not just get into your system, but figure out a way to exfiltrate data, copy data out of your system in a way that ideally you won't notice. Okay. Then you mentioned encryption, right? Yes. And then encrypts the systems using some encryption protocols. So what's cool about your computer is it kind of already does this. Your computer, like if you use um, BitLocker on Windows, you are doing full disk encryption. You are encrypting all the data on your computer. So if someone tried to just pull the hard drive out of your computer and read what was on it, they couldn't without the password. They can do this as well. They can also encrypt your data, but they'll use a different key because Uh. encryption is literally just like if you think of like a Caesar cipher where like you just shift all the letters up and down or if you ever thought of like when you have like a pattern, you know, in the spy books where it's like they have like a Bible passage and when you like write a message using that Bible passage, it suddenly makes sense. What? Okay. I've watched way too many crazy spy movies. Spy book? Oh, wait. You mean in spy movies when like, let's say someone has a Bible and then you got to lay over a piece of paper that has like blocks out of it? Yeah. It's like, if you know, like this passage of the Bible Mm -hmm. is the key. Yeah. means that like this gibberish message, if I shift 
all the characters by however many characters are in each letter of that passage, then I can read the message. Yeah. Okay. They are doing the same thing with it. Like that's how symmetric key encryption works. It's basically saying I'm going to encrypt it this way so I can be unencrypted or actually they also use RSA encryption. So that's actually asymmetric. I'll get there in a second. But the point here is when you encrypt data, you can unencrypt data, which means that I can be encrypting your data while you're still using it. You don't realize I'm attacking you and encrypting your data. So the moment I decide the attack is ready to like shut down your systems, I just stop making that key available to decrypt data. Whoa. Okay. So it's like you could be doing this slowly over weeks, months, years. You could be doing this from the inception of a company and waiting to the right moment to say, all right, now these keys are suddenly unavailable. I'm going to save them on a separate thumb drive and delete these off of your computer. Like oh. you can do this over a long period of time. Now they said they're using RSA 1024, right? Yeah. So people are probably more familiar with RSA 512. I've done a VPN episode that explains how the different encryption algorithms are being used by you all the time for HTTPS. And those include RSA encryption, AES, which is like the encryption you're more used to is that's the symmetric key encryption. But all of these encryptions are like the standard way that people like to encrypt their data. And the length of the encryption is actually a function of how difficult it is to break that encryption. So oh. RSA 512 is 512 bits. RSA 1024 is twice as long, which means it's two to the 1024 in terms of difficulty. Oh, whereas before it's just two to the 512th. OK, so it's it's super secure. <laughs> yeah. And they want to do that because they want to make sure that I can't just brute force my way back into my own data. Like if I can just brute force my way into having the key that undermines any opportunity they have to encrypt my data because I don't need them to get the key back. Yes, that makes sense. It's funny. In a way, they actually also want to do incredibly good cybersecurity because not only do they need to ensure the safety of your data while they hold a hostage, they kind of need to make sure you can't attack them back while you're trying to get your data back. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. In, in a weird way, ransomware attacks are two different companies trying to do better information security than the other one. Oh my God. And then shadow copies is just, this can be backups. This can be uh, parody. This can be anything that can be used to figure out what the data was based on what logs you've been keeping or what data you have. All right. So I think I think I understand this now. Let me, I'm going to do our own yes, yes, no here. Yes. <laughs> so. They can get into this ransomware, get into the system slowly over time, take the data, encrypt it. And then when you're ready, basically, I don't want to say flip a switch, but then just like turn off you being able to your system being able to read that encryption. And then they'll also delete any of the like extra versions of it yeah, that you could like possibly there's, access. There's a big guy that, with a big switch and he pulls down the big switch and sends a command <laughs> all the way to your computer that says no more data for the person. <laughs> but no, you got it. You got it. It's okay. It's not enough to just encrypt the data. You need to make sure they can't recover their own data to the best they can. And it sounds like Colonial Pipeline did have backups of their data. Like they would have been able to recover just fine <laughs> in a weird way. I'm not, I guess they're more paying to make sure the data wasn't given out to the internet is what you said. Yes. Yes. So let's, let's get a little more into that. So Darkseid, since it emerged in August of 2020, it's been pretty popular. It's it's leaked the data of more than 
80 organizations, and they've also hit at least 114 organizations, meaning at least 30 of those places have paid the ransom, a ransom which can range between like $200,000 to $2 million, which that's according to a security startup named Cyber Reason. And so it's possible that Darkseid has made more than $30 million in just half a year, which is kind of insane. That's a good startup. Yeah, but also a part of their business model is that like if a company doesn't pay the ransom, then they will just release it on the dark web. <laughs> dark web. Well, for, all of our, for all of the letter Kenny fans out there, dark web. <laughs> But they'll release it on some kind of a site and outlet there that people can access it. There, there are sites on the dark web. Like there are sites that you can't easily access that are for not just, they could be the selling of individual data, selling of credit cards. Like people pay, I don't know what the going rate is, but they'll pay for a block of credit card numbers. And that way they can just kind of go through and figure out which ones work and which ones don't. Yeah. Okay. There's another part of dark side that's really interesting as an organization because they like to present themselves as kind of a Robin Hood hacking organization. And let me explain this. So first, they actually regret their attack on the colonial pipeline. I'm going to read a statement that they provided. They said, we are apolitical. We do not participate in geopolitics, do not need to tie us with a defined government and look for our motives. Our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. From today, we introduce moderation and check each company that our partners want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future. I mean, that's I think a lot of hackers have this mentality about they, they don't want to screw over like us. These ransomware organizations will never go after an individual. We're not worth it. We're literally like not worth the amount of money. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do an at scale ransomware attack because they would make them almost in a way too big of a target. Like this is stuff that we saw with um, I'm trying to remember what that ransomware attack was forever ago. That's affecting medical equipment. And like that's such uh, a huge problem yeah. that it really paints a target on your back. And actually, this starts getting into the realm of hack hacktivism, which I've also done a video about hacking and how hacking is a thing. (laughs) With hacktivism, this is exactly like using computers in a way they're not supposed to or getting access to a computer not supposed to for, in some cases, a political agenda. Like some hackers, when they want to attack like a big company like this, if you go to anyone who's seen Mr. Robot, it's like that mentality of like these big companies are screwing us over and we're going to get them. We're going to make them pay and we're going to make them understand how much they suck. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what they're doing, it feels like a lot of hackers when they're especially going after targets like these, that's kind of the mentality they go in with. Like if you are a government agency who's doing crappy things and they go and they take over your homepage and troll it with a bunch of weird stuff, like they're doing that to send a message. And here they don't want to send a message. They just think that of all the targets we could go after, the ones making a bunch of money while screwing over people are ones I'm not going to feel bad about when I go to sleep at night. Yeah, like so they promise not to attack certain industries like hospitals, funeral services, schools, universities universities, nonprofits, and government organizations. Kind of for that reason, because the idea being they don't want to screw over like the populace. They want to screw over these companies. And they also claim they only permit attacks on companies they know can afford to pay the ransom. Basically, they want the money and they don't want the company to completely die from it. To all the Black Mirror producers who are definitely listening to this or whatever shows not taking over Black Mirror's place, I will bet you you will have a pitch for an episode sometime soon that is ransomware attacks getting into people's like pacemakers and stuff. People having to pay a monthly fee to not have their
their pacemaker shut down by a ransomware company. Because that, as technology gets more sophisticated and we have more wireless diagnostic tools, we're moving more and more towards a world where the smallest devices can be attacked by ransomware attacks like this and we can get screwed like this. And it's nice to hear that hackers have these ethical codes like we would never screw over people with health problems. We just want to screw over the big shots and power. But when you're trying to make money and you don't really care about people, not everyone's this nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Also, like ethical to a point, because like they're still their business model is that we're a company that wants to make money. So it's like some of the things I listed of stuff that they promise not to attack. Those also are the industries that don't have that much disposable income. Yeah. So. There's also something that goes back to that healthcare infrastructure in America I was mentioning was I again don't remember the name of that ransomware, but they were attacking like hospitals. Amazingly, a lot of hospitals, unless they're parts of large networks, do not have robust cybersecurity infrastructure. They sometimes don't even have any cybersecurity at all. It could be like one guy yeah, who's I responsible for taking care of the one server they keep in the basement of the building. And so when they're being like attacked with ransomware attacks and then being told like, all right, you're going to install this software and the guy, the one guy doesn't know how to do that or they were supposed to pay in a cryptocurrency and they don't know how to do that and they're trying to learn all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you can get really screwed. Like when you have, when you go after a, a big company with robust cybersecurity and technology, you also kind of have that assurance that like they should know what they're doing. When we go to give it back, we're going to have a successful, we're going to chalk this up as like proving our track record as a business because <laughs> we successfully gave back their keys and did not sell, release their data, which is important to the like people believing that we're going to do what we say as a ransomware company. <laughs> the whole God, the whole idea of this is just so bizarre. Like yeah, I, I wanted to see the part where they send the like email with the uh, decryption software and it also says, please leave us a five star review yes. on Yelp. <laughs> we appreciate your service. Thank you for being a loyal customer. <laughs> Thank you for letting us unlock your data today. Actually, speaking of cryptocurrency, didn't you mention they paid an untraceable cryptocurrency? Yes. So I always find this very interesting. You can kind of tell which cryptocurrencies are the most, I'll put it in air quotes, trustable, like are going to get the most love based on which hackers are using them. Like for a long time, Bitcoin got a lot of love because it was being used for ransomware attacks. Really? Yeah. See, cryptocurrency cannot be reversed. If you get screwed by a crypto transaction, it cannot be undone because Ah. of the nature of the blockchain. I've also done videos about this. (laughs) And the important thing to think about here is people used to use Bitcoin until someone eventually realized that the entire public ledger means I can literally see everyone this wallet is interacting with. Mm So it's not as trivial as people think to launder money using cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin because of the public ledger. So they've moved to other private cryptocurrencies. And I think currently Monero is the favored one because it is a privacy preserving cryptocurrency. Basically, when I do a transaction with someone in Bitcoin and pretty much any blockchain that's like public, it's going to need to check that, first of all, I have enough cryptocurrency to do the transaction and vice versa. Yeah. And that transaction is written to a public ledger everyone has. So if I wanted to, with a little footwork, I can see the full web of interactions that are happening between the victim, the account they sent the money to, and then every account that account interacts with going down the line, Mm -hmm. which in turn can help you identify the targets and help you figure out, all right, these people are probably responsible. And actually, (sighs) different agencies have different 
different opinions about this, but the United States, among other nations, is trying to build kind of like, how do you go after people who are using cryptocurrency? This is not a mystery. Like people, ever since cryptocurrency came about, people have been trying to figure out the real implications of it all the way down to ransomware. Yeah. But with cryptocurrencies like Monero, they have ways of doing proofs that verify that I can do the transaction and you can do the transaction without the miner actually needing to know who each of us is. Like they obviously need to know where to send the money. Mm -hmm. But if I'm trying to watch the Monero network, it's not as easy for me to watch that paper trail of transactions across the network. Okay, you're not going to be able to find the ledger of it started in this wallet, then went to this wallet, then went to this wallet. Yeah, like you might be able to watch it go from one to the other, but that's probably it. Okay. As a result, not only is that transaction irreversible, but it's also at that point fairly untraceable, much more untraceable than Bitcoin. Okay, that's really cool to know, Cameron. And then also like if it's like a good investment, like let's say I'm a company that is getting like 100 Bitcoins like 20 years ago, not 20 years ago. That doesn't make any sense. Bitcoin what? didn't exist. <laughs> what is this? It's a good investment. Let's say I bought $10,000 in Bitcoin, I don't know, in 2015 as part of a ransomware attack. That's a lot more money now. They're, they're really holding on to that dinero. But when it came to like which cryptocurrencies were getting the most love, Bitcoin was one of the first successful, like there are other digital currencies, but that was like the first like blockchain crypto, yada, yada, yada. It's awesome. But also the fact that hackers and people on the dark web were using it played a lot into its like people's trust in it. Like very much like you want to be able to believe that hackers who are taking your data are going to actually give it back. You also want to believe that the cryptocurrency you're investing in is going to proliferate and continue after this transaction. And that showed a trust in the cryptocurrency that came from the like bad people we don't normally like to associate with the things we do online. You heard it here, folks. Bitcoin became popular because of hackers. That's one reason. All right, so let's move on to what's now being done since this attack. What's happening now? What's what's the latest status? Does it know stuff? Let's find out. <laughs> yes. So I mentioned before that Colonial Pipeline was working with the federal government to figure out what happened and that they were able to turn the pipeline back on. They've also hired a cybersecurity consulting company to help with the situation. So hopefully soon we'll know exactly how the attackers got in and Colonial Pipeline will fix that issue. But obviously, ransomware attacks are not an isolated incident, and they're becoming more popular. So let me give you some figures. According to a survey by cybersecurity firm Recorded Future, there have been more than 100 confirmed ransomware attacks against American entities already in 2021. And another study from the cybersecurity firm MSASoft found that ransomware gangs incurred around $75 billion in costs around the world in 2020. I mean, yeah, it's a legitimate business. It's like, obviously people, the internet has allowed for a lot of very weird businesses that totally suck. And actually something I want to talk about here, because you mentioned that they're working with a cybersecurity firm, Mm -hmm. is that cybersecurity firms apparently screwed over Colonial Pipeline and everyone else who's had to deal with Darkseid because, and this is going to go back to the competing infosec things that I mentioned before, like Darkseid, their software was actually not foolproof at getting people's data. Because remember how I mentioned how once you get that data, you don't want them to be able to to recover that data without having to pay you. Right. If I recall, DarkSide software, some researchers had found an exploit in the software where the way they copied keys could actually be broken so that you could hold on to the key. Like you could decrypt your own data. And they'd been silently helping victims of DarkSide's attacks to recover their data. Okay. But when you're a company that does cybersecurity and you want to show off how you're the best, you can go around telling everyone, hey, we, Bitdefender, happen to be extremely extremely good at fighting dark sides attacks. Oh 
These guys are not related to the two researchers that I mentioned. I don't remember the names of the researchers. I'm sorry. I'll make sure to give Sam the link for our show notes. But the thing to keep in mind here is there was an exploit that people were using to protect against Darkseid's attacks because Darkseid didn't know it was there. Yeah. And once Bitdefender started running around telling people, hey, we also know how to protect you against Darkseid's attacks or at least recover the keys so that you won't be screwed. Guess what Darkseid was like? Oh, it looks like there's a vulnerability in our code. Let's go patch that. <laughs> this is something I hate about self-promoting cybersecurity companies is they have put like sometimes far more investment in their marketing than mm. they have in their actual cybersecurity component. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. That's, it's the one thing you don't want to market. Like you don't want to tell the other guy how you're doing it. And that's the funny thing is like zero day exploits are the thing you normally think about from our side. Like if I'm using the banking app or I'm using just any normal app on my phone, mm-hmm. a zero day exploit is an app with a vulnerability I don't know about as an exploit in it I've never heard of. Yeah. And the hackers also have that problem. So the more you go around telling them we can fight the hackers because we know about this problem, the more you're letting the hackers know there's a problem they need to fix <laughs> and they're going to go fix it because that's how they make money. <laughs> Wow. It's a very stupid arms race. (laughs) Okay. So I mentioned that there have been a bunch of ransomware attacks and they're becoming a lot more popular. Cameron can probably name a ton of examples. I'm going to talk about the most recent, which was in April against the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. So that was done by a group called Babook. I think I said that right. I have no clue how they're spelled or named, but yes, I've heard about this one. I think B-A-B-U-K. B-A-B, yeah, that's Babook. (laughs) Babook? Babook. I don't know, man. (laughs) Now I kind of hope I'm butchering their name. Maybe it's Babook Hay. Babook Hay. Anyway. Like the the Star Wars character, Babu Frick. Yes, Yes, I got it. I made it full circle. There, okay. So they started releasing personal information of officers when the department didn't pay the $4 million ransom. And there was a new batch of data released on May 11th with the leaked information, including psychological assessments, social security numbers, financial data, and marriage histories on 22 police officers. And then Babu even posted conversations between itself and the police department in which the department tried to lowball the group with a $100,000 ransom offer, which Babook obviously rejected because they released the info of 22 officers. So Yeah, you can't lowball the person who has all the power here. Yeah, that's not a great strategy, but nice try. I actually think this plays into your point about ethics and how like the hackers like to think they're ethical. Like right now, there's a real, regardless of what people thought about the police before, right now we seem to be in like a real inflection point about how we feel about the police. And so I figure Babook probably looked at this as like an easy win. Like if we can go after these cops, no one's going to be like, oh no, the cops, uh, their poor data got out there. Such victims. Well, it's even more complex because this is the DC Metropolitan Police Department, like also related to, you know, capital insurrection. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that. So it's even on the other end, you could argue of like people not liking the police because they were pro-insurrection. Yeah, they 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 flubbed the insurrection is I think how I can't I don't want to get into the details. I don't know all the details of insurrection day. I just know that was terrible. And there was a lot of poorly handled everything on the side of the National Guard and the D.C. Metropolitan Police. So there is plenty to unpack there that would need its own entire episode. But all I wanted to say was, yeah, the optics seem opportunistic. 
optimistic. Yeah, there's a reason they're going after that police department. That's mm-hmm. what I was trying mm-hmm. to point out. So there is, I guess, some good news. The colonial pipeline attack plus the rise in other ransomware attacks did spark the Biden administration to sign an executive order to improve the nation's cybersecurity. I'm going to read you a quote from that executive order. It is the policy of my administration that the prevention, detection, assessment, and remediation of cyber incidents is a top priority and essential to national and economic security. The federal government must lead by example. The order then lists various standards such as removing barriers to sharing threat information, modernizing federal government cybersecurity, and improving the detection of cyber attacks. Yeah, this actually goes back to what are called SCADA systems or supervisory control and data acquisition systems. So since like the 2000s, basically since the internet's been a thing, we've been trying to figure out how to put entire pieces of infrastructure on the internet. Like power grids are on the internet. Gas pipelines are on the internet. All of this infrastructure and all these companies that go from everything from the stuff we do on our phones to the things that fuel our cars and the power that heats our homes and we use to cook our food and the supply chains that make our country work during a pandemic all have an internet component now. Meaning that ransomware attacks before, if you want to think of them as only ever being able to target maybe some specific machinery and mostly people's data, now it's easier and easier for those attackers to go after actual infrastructure. And so I think this is something that like America's needed to do for a long time, but it sounds like Biden's really trying to commit to it in a more public way than past presidents have. Yeah, at least there's an executive order, which means something will have to be done eventually in the government. Yeah, it's upsetting how slow government and legislators are to react to cyber incidents. Like technology moves way faster than lawmakers can keep up with. And so a lot of the legislation that comes down to protecting people's privacy and security and the bare minimum of what we expect is typically handled by executive orders or the smaller actions until a larger sweeping law can be created like the e-governance act or things like high tech which was a follow-on to hipaa that helped with was electronic healthcare records like Mm -hmm. there are some pieces of legislation that help to standardize and give clear guidance on how we want to protect but technology is advancing at such a quick rate that a lot of the times by the time those laws and i don't think this is a mystery to anyone by the time those laws come out it's already a little outdated yeah it's just challenging because it takes a while for laws to get written to become law and then to actually take effect i do also want to point out there's even another challenge with stopping ransomware attacks and that most of these organizations and groups, they're tied closely to Russia or other countries that don't extradite their citizens. So that can make arrests difficult. Yeah, even if like a group was able to be shut down, the people from that group can just go off and be part of another group. And a lot of the times those countries, when they find people who've been doing cyber crimes within their country, they'll hire them. Maybe not like hired, hired with like a good pension and stuff, but in lieu of jail time, (laughs) they will use their expertise as part of their own cyber defense initiatives for their country. Yeah. Like think about it. Think about having a organization like Darkseid that wants to present itself as having an ethical code being taken by the Russian government and repurposed as a weapon against the United States. And on that note, I think it's time to end. (laughs) Yes. In conclusion, the colonial pipeline attack, it seems to be a wake up call to the U.S. to strengthen their cybersecurity systems, you know, especially related to that with infrastructure and public goods. But how effective that strengthening will be only time will tell. Yeah. In the meantime, if I want to know more about the things I was saying or find anything useful, where should I look? You should look in the show notes where all my sources are. Awesome. And for those of you who don't know, right in your little podcast 
podcast app, there is in fact a little notes section and you can go there and you can see all the great show notes and links to all of our great stuff like our Twitter. And you can also find me on Twitter. I'll put me on blast for all the things I said that were right or wrong. <laughs> and also you can go check out some of those YouTube's video I mentioned. YouTube's video? YouTube's video that have to do with what is hacking, the different types of hacking or what is encryption. And like that one's more from a VPN standpoint, but it'll give you some context on how your computer uses encryption to protect you every day. Thank you, Scott, for adding our audio, making us sound wonderful. If you'd like to find out more about his work, his information is also in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much, Scott, for making us sound buttery smooth as always. And as for everyone listening, remember, until next time, don't click on any suspicious links. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.